Welcome to a podcast about wealth and life. We all know that our finances play a big part in how we live our lives. In this podcast, the advisors from Foster and Motley share insights and information about investment and financial planning topics and how they connect to your life. We are traveling around the world with the people of Foster and Motley. I'm Patrice Sikora, and in this episode, folks you know from earlier shows will share their love of travel and some of their most favorite experiences. Let's start at latitude 18 degrees north and longitude 65 degrees west with Zach Binzer. So our trip of a lifetime was to the British Virgin Islands back in 2009 going into 2010 over New Year's Eve holiday. My wife's friend from high school asked us to be part of a small group. He had secured the opportunity to go and being that we were on a liveaboard catamaran, only eight guests could attend and we were one of the lucky couples to be invited. So we were very appreciative of that. Ooh, it was on a boat? Yeah. So we lived on a boat for a week. Each couple had their own suite, if you will, but it's a small sailboat catamaran and very, very interesting, something I'd never done before and turned out to be you know, my favorite trip of all time. So very grateful for that opportunity and looking forward to going back sometime. Tell me about it. I mean, were you in the middle of the ocean or not far from one of the islands? Typically, we were always near the islands. You could always see land. There was some opportunity to sail open water if we chose. But we just bounced around island to island, landmark to landmark. Some of the islands, Yosef Van Dyke or Tortola. We visited some of the locally local watering holes. Soggy Dollar was a memorable one. <laughs> that name arrives from the fact that typically guests arrive from boats, and the only way to get ashore is to swim. So you put your money in your pocket jump in the water, swim to shore, and therefore all the money is nice and soggy, <laughs> hence the soggy dollar. Another memorable hotspot was the Willie T watering hole, which is a, an old ship that's floating in a cove. And again, the only way to arrive there is by boat as well. Other than that, the activities are, you know, enjoying the sunshine, lots of great snorkeling spots. One of the days we sailed to a place where it was fun to go ashore and hike a little bit. But overall, it was just a wonderful tropical vacation full of sunshine, full of good drinks and good friends. Is this something that anybody can book? Yeah, it's very um, widespread, if you will. There's a lot of yacht charter companies down there in the area. Tell me about what the suite. What, what was that like on the boat? You are living on a, a boat. The rooms are not what I would say grandiose. It's basically a small room with a bed, some room for your clothes, but by no means should you plan on packing two or three suitcases. <laughs> it's somewhat of a minimalist trip, but ideally all you really need is a bathing suit during the day. I mean, you know, maybe a cover up and then golf shorts and a polo to go ashore for food or for dinner or to listen to one of the bands. And that's really all you need. So you don't really need to pack a lot. And then your clothes go with you. So each day we'd wake up, the captain would roll a map out on the table and say, we can go over here and snorkel. We can go over here and hike. We can go over here and there's a nice bar and we would choose. And then the boat in your room and all your luggage moves right with you. It's a lot of fun. And then the, the restrooms, ensuite restrooms, if you will, are also very minimalist in that the toilet, the shower, and the sink are all basically in a small closet. And you can wash your hands in the sink or you can pull the faucet up and hang it on the wall and that becomes your shower head. <laughs> um, so it may not sound all that luxurious, but again, somewhat of a minimal, minimalist mindset. And we loved every minute from of it. So 
it didn't take away or detract from the trip in any way. And maybe that's because we were surrounded by good friends, good drink, good weather. And then the first mate on the boat also becomes your personal chef. So that was fun because she kind of asked a survey of your favorite foods and dishes, things you love, things you absolutely don't like. And she customized the menu for us for the week. So we'd have breakfast, then a late morning snack, and then lunch, and then a mid-afternoon snack with cocktails, and then dinner would either be on the boat or somewhere on shore. Oh, it sounds like it was a tough trip. It was horrible. And I never <laughs> would have gotten that. Definitely looking forward to an opportunity to go relive that memory you know, with some dear friends sometime here in the future. Moving to the east, our next stop is with Joe Patterson at latitude 40 degrees north and longitude 4 degrees west. I want to share our experience from two trips to Spain. Spain is a big country, so it warrants, in my opinion, many trips. But (laughs) in our case, it warrants at least two. Let's roll back to March 2017 and March 2018 over our boys' spring breaks. We made two separate trips to Spain. The first, we made our home base in central Spain in Madrid with a trip down to southern Spain where we stayed in Cordoba. So flying to Madrid, lovely train to Cordoba, mm-hmm. and then train back to Madrid where we flew out to end our trip. So our second visit was flying to Barcelona, another lovely train trip to Zaragoza, which kind of sits equidistant on the train route between Madrid and Barcelona. So it's another nice location to, to park for a few days and then back to Barcelona for the end of that trip. Two trips, two cities, two years. Yeah, why'd you do the two years back-to-back like that? We had never gone overseas as a family. So March 2017, we decided that would be a great time for our almost three-year-old to go on his first plane trip. We said, hey, let's go to Spain. Why not? Let's rip off the Band-Aid and do an international (laughs) trip. We learned on the way in to Madrid that he, like his dad, gets motion sick. So lesson learned, uh, figure out if your kids, that's tip number one from my session, (laughs) figure out if your kids get motion sick before you stick them on a transatlantic flight, make a note and pack children's Dramamine if they do get sick. Mm. So lesson learned. And we made it about 30 minutes from the ground and the turbulence started and it was, it was not the best landing let's say however that was the low point of the trip it was all all good from there so we went in march because of spring break but that leads into tip number one which is or tip number two i should say which is shoulder season is a fantastic time to visit spain or any mm-hmm. other country shoulder season in spain happens to be march to early mid-may and then swing back again in september october time frame so really not in the summer and not on a major holiday when the weather is nice. Now, the weather is, by Cincinnati standards, pretty darn nice in those times of year. Even in March, we went in mid-late March. The worst days were 60 and sunny, and the best days were low 70s and sunny. Coming from Cincinnati and Cincinnati winters, which generally involve some form of gray, Spain being one of the most sunny places in the world is a nice place to go. We chose Spain because we like visiting new places. We like history. We like culture. We like food. We like good scenery, like good weather. So you can kind of 
tick every one of those things off the list in Spain. Other than stay there forever, how long would you recommend someone goes for a visit? Yeah, that's a great question. Forever is a nice answer. <laughs> I like that one. Two weeks would be fantastic if you can swing it. We were there eight days, but that was sort of limited by school schedules. Ten days is, it would be a nice one to do. If you're going with kids, be prepared to exist on Spain time, which if you try to eat dinner at six or even seven or sometimes even eight, you will get funny looks or there just won't be any dinner to eat. You'll be eating off the tapas menu, which is they might have a few things floating around at the bar. Dinner starts around nine and it goes till 12, one, you know, every night. So that's a change. But if you think about, you know, being ahead six, five, six hours, you know, that's not awful. If you're used to eating dinner at six here, then it's not such a stretch that you might eat it at 10 in Spain, which is, which is kind of prime dinner hour. So, so that's very different. The schedule is certainly different. Things do close down after lunch. So be aware of that. Joe, would you recommend this for people with, with kids, for families? I would. I think it's great for kids to get exposure to new cultures. It's a little daunting at first to throw your kid on a transatlantic flight, particularly if they're little. Our youngest is nine now. It's much easier to pop him on a plane and say, here's your iPad. Let us know when you need something to eat. I will say we made it a point to not eat near tourist traps. So if you're at one of the great sites and visiting, make the effort to walk a few blocks, three, four blocks in the opposite direction, and then go find something to eat. You'll probably find something that's better and cheaper and a better experience than if you eat right next to said tourist location. At least for us, the urge to be overscheduled and see every single thing possible, we try to fight that urge as much as we can. So in a place like Barcelona, if you're in Barcelona for four days, um, that's widely insufficient to see Barcelona, but it's an excuse to come back. Then it's a hop, skip, and a short plane ride with Nikki Williams to latitude 45 degrees north, longitude 10 degrees east. When I was in college, I actually did a study abroad program in Italy. So I was there for two months. And during the week, we attended classes. And then on the weekends, we were free to travel around Italy and anywhere else in Europe. So we spent most of our weekends exploring um, different places in Italy. We went to Spain as well for one weekend. So I would say my favorite part of my Italy experience was going to Cinque Terre, which stands for the five villages. So a group of my friends and I went there over the weekend. And what's great about Cinque Terre is it's right on the coast of Italy. You can do a beach day, kind of relax and enjoy the beautiful Italian weather. Or you can hike through the mountains of these five villages. So we spent one day hiking the trail from Monterosa to Vernazza. So as you can imagine, a hike through the mountains is no easy task, especially <laughs> for someone who doesn't hike often. It was well worth the effort, though. Once once you um, reach the top of the mountain, it is just an absolutely incredible view and extremely worth the effort that was put in. And what about that Italian beach day? Exactly. Yeah. So the Italian beach day was wonderful. You can grab towels, a chair, grab your favorite beverage, whatever that may be. There's plenty of restaurants all along the beach that you can stop at. So, you know, I would recommend spending your first day hiking through the mountains and then the next day at the beach since you've 
earned that relaxing <laughs> beach day after after a big hike like that. Well, how many days do you think you really need to enjoy the place to its fullest? I would say two full days. You can definitely see a lot and do, like I mentioned, both the hiking as well as more of a relaxing day. If you did extend your time there, there are five different villages. So you could explore more of the villages and the towns there. But if you're trying to hop around and see all that you can see in Italy, I think two full days is plenty of time. And did you go to any of those other towns or was it just really one that you stayed in? Just the one that we stayed in. So Monterosa was the one that we stayed in. And I think that's the largest and the most common one that's stayed at. And would you go back? Oh, absolutely. I would love to. <laughs> <laughs> would love to. We head a bit further north with Rachel Rasmussen to latitude 49 degrees north and longitude 31 degrees east. I love talking about travel, Patrice. This is like my favorite topic. I won't talk about necessarily my favorite trip, but my most recent trip, I took my family on their spring break and I took a grandma as well, because as we've talked about, grandma should go, grandma should go. Yes, yes. they help, They, you know, (laughs) and every now and then grandma and kids want to stay home for the evening and the parents want to go to dinner. So grandma gets a trip to Europe out of it. It's better than taking a nanny, I suppose. But Anyway, we went to Bavaria recently, so we flew into Munich, and we did all the areas south of Munich, little Bavarian towns, um, Mm -hmm. and then we made our way through northern Austria to Salzburg, Hallstatt, and Vienna, so it was Germany and Austria. Wow. And, oh my gosh, I can't, I can just rave about how beautiful, incredibly beautiful. I can't think of any other place in the world that looks the way this place looks. So lush and green and the beautiful mountains and the the lakes are so clear, just incredible views and the air feels so fresh and lovely. And all along the way, they have these magnificent castles. So that's one of the pit stops that we made. We stayed a few days near Neuschwanstein. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm butchering this because I can't speak German. I little French, a little Spanish, no German, but it's just incredible. It's actually where Walt Disney got his, well, they say anyways, idea for the Disneyland castle. So it looks like that. Why did you choose Bavaria? It was just an area that I hadn't done before. You know, when I was younger, I lived in the UK and I did a lot of travel by myself and we did the big cities, but I wanted to get a sense of what it was like to have an apple strudel by the lake. (laughs) It lived up to all of my expectations. How did the kids do? Oh, they were great. They, I mean, it's a chance for them to be outside and run around. And we went to this little farm where they had barnyard animals walking around. I think I'm pretty sure they wouldn't do this in the States, but in Austria, they let the donkeys and the pigs and everything run around and with the visitors and you got to pet them and it was a rescue farm. So that was kind of fun. And they were great on the plane. I mean, once you kind of get to the age where they can watch a movie, right? it's no big deal. You take a nap and you're there and it's totally worth going. But I I have to think that a couple of things that I learned through the process is just get a car. You know, there's this big fear Mm. of driving in Europe. It was actually pretty easy. Now you're in this age when I was traveling years ago, there was no such thing as 
smartphones. And so <laughs> trying to look up directions, but now Google Maps works over there. You just switch it to kilometers and it's pretty straightforward what you have to do. And they have navigation systems in the cars. Obviously, uh, Germans make nice cars. So it was, <laughs> yes. And they go kind of fast, but stay in the slow mm -hmm. lane. And um, the drives were some of the best part of the trip because you just see stuff that you wouldn't see in, in a city. You get to kind of go through the little towns and say, oh, just let's just pull off here and let's see what this is. And, oh, here's a ski resort. This is random. So the Dakar driving was pretty easy because of the smartphone and also Google Translate. Oh my gosh, ah. Patrice, that's a game changer. You can basically take your phone and take a picture of a menu of a sign and it will translate on the page what the words are. Wonderful. Yeah. So, you know, the whole language barrier thing has become less of an issue. It's nice to know a few words, but I still only am limited to maybe about five German words, but they, <laughs> I think they appreciated that. They, at least I tried, yes. even if I had a really bad accent, but it was lovely. And I highly recommend going to see that area either in the summertime when it's green and there's flowers or even in the off season. I personally like traveling in the off season places because they're not as crowded. Right. You know, you can get a hit or miss on the weather. And in fact, it was pretty, it was a little bit snowy and cold, but we weren't dealing with droves of tourists. You know, you, they come in on these mega buses and just kind of messes with the ambiance, <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> what about the people? What were the people like? The people were lovely. That was one of my best experiences was not staying in a hotel near some of these places was actually I stayed in an apartment owned by some of the families that were local and they would come introduce themselves and put fruit on the table and say, here, let me tell you about my family's history. I mean, some of these families have owned this land for 10 generations. Wow. I mean, going back years and years. And so if you just ask questions, I mean, people love to tell you their life story. I mean, I think it's kind of like a common thing. This is Germans and Austrians are timely. Yes, they are. Arrive on time. Do not be late because <laughs> the tour is leaving and you will not be on it. Anyway, as long as you're on time and you're polite and you try the food, then People, they were just just wonderful, lovely, friendly people. And also, it could have contributed that we weren't kind of in a really busy tourist season. So maybe they're a little amenable to having visitors. So I think that does help. Moving back south, we join Nick Roth at latitude 29 degrees north and longitude 31 degrees east. Well, Patrice, I love to travel. I've been to 16 different countries. And today I'd like to talk about my trip to Egypt last summer. Egypt? Why did you go there? A friend of mine and I really wanted to go to Africa, and we were between South Africa, Kenya, and Egypt, and we got a cheap flight to Egypt, so that's where we decided to go. Did you have an itinerary, or did you just go for fun to just see what happens? I had built out the itinerary pretty well before we left. We spent time in three different of the main cities in Egypt, Cairo, Aswan, and Luxor. So I had read a lot of travel blogs about what to do in each of those cities and how to best spend your time. So we had several tours planned in advance, and there were a few days where we just winged it and did whatever we could. But 
most of it was planned ahead of time. What did you like the best? The culture there is just incredible. Thinking about how old that civilization is and how far back the ancestors of that country date back is quite incredible to think about. And you see that all over the country once you're actually there. And just kind of understanding how tied into history they are was really an incredible experience for me. What is something that you really remember the most? What picture comes to your mind? It's hard to beat the pyramids, Patrice. We decided to do that on our second last day there so that we always had something to look forward to, and they really did not disappoint at all. It's incredible how intact they are for how old they are, and the people there just take such incredible care of them, and they all are are involved in that process, right? It takes everyone being committed to preserving that history to actually make it happen. So that was just really incredible. Tell me about the people. The people were extremely friendly. I think that obviously you're a tourist, so you're bringing money (laughs) into their country, which they appreciate, but everybody was helpful and very nice. And we really didn't have any issues at all with the people. We had one slightly aggressive taxi driver, but other than that, all good. Did you ride any camels? We did. We did. The camel ride was amazing. Highly recommend for sure. It was really a great experience. Tell me about it. There's a viewing point near the pyramids where you can't really get to just walking. There, It's a, a pretty intense little desert area. So it's much easier to go by camel. And so you take a camel out to the viewing point and you get to take pictures on the camel with your friends. And it was really a cool experience. Nick, do you have any tips for visiting Egypt? I have two tips. Don't go in the summer. The <laughs> average high was 112 while we were there. Oh my. It was really not as bad as you might think, but still don't recommend it. We got the cheap flight for a reason, I found out. And the second tip is feel free to haggle with the taxi drivers. You know, Uber was great in Cairo, but in Aswan and Luxor, Uber was nowhere to be found. So you had to just flag down a taxi. And the first price they quoted you was four times higher than what you actually should have paid. So we saved probably over $100 just by haggling down our taxi prices. So Fantastic. Now, how long do you think is the ideal time to be there? Nine, 10, probably no more than 11 days. We felt like we saw most of the highlights, if not all the highlights, and then even some little extra stuff along the way in nine days. So I think Nine to 11 days is a pretty good good time frame. And where are you going next? This summer, I'm looking forward to Japan and South Korea. It's going to be a, a fun summer as well. Now grab your backpack and settle in for a rather lengthy flight to latitude 13 degrees north, longitude 103 degrees east, and Sari Young's adventure. I went to Thailand and Cambodia. And when did you go? We went in September of 2016. So it's been a few years. We went in the off season, which was very fortunate. We didn't have to deal with any school schedules or anything like that. So it was the rainy season, which actually turned out very well for us. Didn't rain very much, but everything was just a little bit less populated. Why did you choose Thailand and Cambodia? I had been wanting to go see Angkor Wat in Cambodia Ah, for years and years. I don't even remember the first 
time that I became aware of Angkor Wat, but it was sort of this bucket list item and we we had some time available. We were deciding where to go and we thought, why not now? So that's why we went to Cambodia. And then my husband had a couple of friends from college who were living in Bangkok, Thailand at the time. So we decided to bundle the two together. The countries border each other. So it was, it made a lot of sense. So yeah, so we got to visit some friends, check off this bucket list item. It was great. Tell me about Angkor Wat. There are no words. The first time that we saw it after we got our tickets, for the following day, we were able to go in and kind of see the last hour, the sunset, get into the park. So we turned the corner and one of the main temples was wow. was there and I saw it in person. And Patrice, I'll be honest with you, I actually teared up. I'd been dreaming yeah. of this moment for so many years. We turned the corner and the lush palm trees and the moat and just this, this massive structure that was built in the year 800. It was it was truly amazing. And then for our our big tour day, we did a bike tour. So we actually, it ended up just being my husband and I with, with this guide. Oh, and fantastic. We, yes. So they came, they picked us up at, I don't know, 3.30 or 4 o'clock in the morning. So we watched the sun rise behind the building, which was as amazing as it sounds. And I highly recommend, and we did a bit of a walking tour around that one of the main temples. And then we actually biked from this whole area was an entire city. So Angkor Wat is one of the main temples and buildings, but from there, there's just so much to do and see in different buildings and structures and kind of sub towns and they're all different and they all have their own little flavor. So we, you know, they picked us up at four and we were biking until probably three in the afternoon. We stopped and had lunch along a river and we got a guided tour and learned a lot more about the history. And oh my goodness, it was absolutely wonderful. Sounds to me like you would recommend this. A thousand times over. <laughs> absolutely. What about Bangkok? Bangkok was huge and it was hot. It was, there were so many different layers to the city. We saw really fancy areas of the city. We saw very run down areas of the city, such a cross section of the population. It was great to be with our friends and we ate a lot of just street food and authentic Thai food, mm. but we got to see a lot of monuments and a lot of temples in Bangkok. We got to ride along the river in just kind of a taxi boat, which was a really fun experience. And we did a lot of foot exploring our time in Bangkok was less structured. And since we were mostly seeing our friends, we just kind of wandered around during the day. We would stop at a market. We would kind of explore this little off the beaten path. So it was just a nice time of unscheduled exploration. We also went to Phnom Penh, the capital of Cambodia. That was the least touristy place that we visited. Thailand and Cambodia are very different. Thailand is from what we learned, was very proud of the fact that they had never been occupied. And Cambodia, their history is a, a lot more tumultuous. And there was a French occupation a long time ago. So you're walking around and, and you're on the other side of the earth. And then there's there are French cafes and French cathedrals. <laughs> and the juxtaposition is very intriguing. Besides Angkor Wat, probably the other highlight of our trip was an elephant experience we went to an elephant sanctuary. We were in this sort of a 
basin of a river Mm -hmm. and it was a group setting. So we all go in with our elephants that we were assigned to and we go into this basin and we're cleaning them off and then we all pose for a picture and then and then they say a word and all of the elephants, they burst water out of their trunks <laughs> and it's just like raining elephant trunk water on us, which was so cool. And then from there, we got to actually ride on the elephants back to kind of their pasture. And in that moment, we're riding along and as I shared before, it was the rainy season. So the whole countryside was extremely lush and deep, deep green. So we're riding on the back of the elephant and it's of course very warm and it starts raining, just so much rain. Normally I would be running and ducking for cover, but in that moment, it was such a snapshot of just such a feeling of vibrancy and being alive and feeling the rain in your hair or clothes are totally soaked. And I'm just riding on the back of an elephant, which I never would have anticipated. It was a moment that I will remember forever. Sarah, is there is there anything you haven't mentioned that you want to make sure you do? We were there for two weeks. I definitely think if you're going to make the trek all the way over there, you want to give yourself at least a good couple of weeks to kind of get in, get situated. And doing a a tour, a guided tour, and also, if possible, leaving a little bit of time for just unstructured exploring. Another chance to upgrade to extra legroom as we grab another flight to latitude 41 degrees south, longitude 152 degrees east, and meet up with Zach Horn. Well, one of my most memorable trips was to New Zealand, and it was in August of 2009. I had the opportunity to go there. It kind of came on my radar because my younger brother was there studying abroad, and I thought, May not be another reason or another time for me to get to New Zealand, so I better go see him. So New Zealand is quite a ways away, and I flew from Cincinnati, joined my parents, and it was actually a flight through LA, Mm -hmm. so four hours or so to get there, and then another 12 or 13 hours to to get to New Zealand. So it was quite, quite the amount of travel to get out there. And, you know, looking back afterwards, we we kind of joked that we should have stopped in Australia while we were out there. So we don't have to make that long trek again. But <laughs> so we took quite a tour of New Zealand. It's made up of two islands, the North and the South Island. And we started in Auckland, which is a large city in the North Island. It's a very diverse city with a huge Asian population and neat architecture, good food, And we got to explore that city with a harbor tour, which was pretty cool. Allows you to see a lot of what the city has to offer in a short amount of time. So that was neat. And then we visited what they have there that they're kind of known for their sky tower. Got to have a good view of the area as well. You know, really just enjoyed the harbor town that is Auckland for a couple of days and and then began some further travels to the south. And where'd you go there? So we were joined by my older brother, who then flew over, kind of made this a a family affair. Nice. And rented a car, which was an interesting experience because in New Zealand, you drive on the left side of the road. So (laughs) that made for some interesting experiences, especially going through roundabouts. Yeah. So, But we drove south through just a gorgeous, green, sprawling hills. Uh, I think New Zealand is actually 
kind of well known for the terrain because of Lord of the Rings. Right. Those right. movies were filmed there and it really is just beautiful. So we drove to a town called Rotorua, which is known for geothermal activity and geysers and active geysers and mud baths and kind of spa type stuff too, and, and got to explore that area. And it's also known for the Mao the Maori culture, which mm-hmm. is the indigenous folks of New Zealand. So that was you know, a neat experience to to kind of see what you know what that area was all about. And then we moved on from there to Lake Taupo, which is just a really neat crater lake in the middle of the North Island and a lot of outdoor activities going on there. And so we took part in a few fun ones. We went bungee jumping oh. off of about a 150 foot cliff, which was pretty cool. Pretty interesting. Okay. Whatever you say. Yeah. And then we also did a rope climbing experience, which was like a ropes course, 50, maybe a hundred feet up in the trees. And you kind of, you're just, you're clipped on with a carabiner and it was exciting. It was a little nerve wracking, <laughs> but it was a heck of a workout too. I believe it. You said exciting with a little bit of doubt in your voice there. <laughs> well, it was it was an experience. So haven't done it since. I'll leave it at that. Speaking of experiences, what do you remember the most? What would you recommend to someone? Yeah, well, I would recommend really exploring the the country. I mean, it's a smaller country in the grand scheme of things, but there's so much to see and so much offered. And so to be able to see Auckland and Rotorua, and then we eventually moved on to Wellington, which is the capital city. And that was where the university was that my younger brother was studying at, but a really neat town with over, overlooking a harbor with a lot of museums and the parliament building there, which mm-hmm. was an experience. We went into a live session and literally listened to these legislators screaming at each other. So we think we've got some conflict in government here. Uh, this was, <laughs> that, I guess that's just the way they do it, the way that it's expected. So they're in there debating things in a very heated fashion, but it was interesting to see. So uh, just getting a diverse experience in New Zealand, if you're going to make the trek that far, take the time to be there for a while and get to see it all would be my recommendation. And I think we did that pretty well in a matter of two weeks. And then we did take a ferry to the South Island and um, visited Christchurch, which is Mm. kind of an old English type town, very neat architecture and churches. And it was neat to see that. And then unfortunate to see several years later that it was hit and damaged by significant earthquakes. So the people of New Zealand are wonderful. They, They speak English there, so it's easy to interact. And they were very welcoming and the culture is is diverse, a lot of ethnicities. And then of course they have the indigenous people that we talked about. Rugby is a big sport there. So it was very <laughs> neat to see some rugby. Really just taking the time to to see the big cities, but also experience the countryside and the true culture of the country was, you know, the best part of the trip for me. We continue to rack up the frequent flyer miles on this leg of our trip to latitude 44 degrees north, longitude 110 degrees west, and a special place for Tony Lockhart. Well, Patrice, I get to talk about one of my favorite places, Yellowstone National Park. I've actually been twice, fortunately. 2014, which I'll talk mostly about today, with my entire family. My twin daughters were nine at that point, and uh, my son Aiden was seven. So, Uh, and my wife, Tara. So it was a 
a special trip and it was a number of firsts for us. It was our first time taking two weeks off. If you haven't done that, you need to do that. First time going out west and first time going to a national park, which we've now been to 25 or 30 of them. Wow. And Yellowstone ranks at the top. We did a car trip, so regular Chevy Chase, putting the family <laughs> in the car and, and getting going. And Yellowstone's just such a diverse place. It has, topographically, it's just lots of different things to see. The first day we stayed in Old Faithful Inn, which was you know, right by Old Faithful, as the name suggests. But the coolest thing about it, two things, number one, it's just a huge log cabin. The inside of the thing is just the neatest thing you've ever seen. And when we checked in, the the guy who was checking us in said he was excited for us and we didn't quite know why. And talking about the room, our room, from our room, you could open the windows. It was a screen window and you could see Old Faithful from uh, from our, our bedroom window. So, oh, my. Yeah, that was pretty special. And then, you know, Old Faithful in it's a huge log cabin. There's a, a geyser walk. So, you know, Old Faithful is the most well-known of the geysers. There's lots of different geysers and there's a couple mile kind of trail that you get to walk around and it's just a super neat area. So, you know, you get that first experience of being in Old Faithful Inn and the geysers. And one of my favorite memories of that is we had dinner at the inn that night and, you know, the kids are nine and seven and just well put our sweatshirts on even in the middle of summer it got a little chilly and we were just walking around the geysers and watching the sunset which was just fantastic do the kids still talk about it they still talk about it yeah. i was fortunate enough to go on a guys trip two weeks ago or two years ago rather with my son and uh, we went back and it was just as magical the second time as it was the first time so yes we still reminisce now how long do you suggest somebody stay there you said you were there for four days yeah, we were there for four days. So Old Faithful Inn was the first day. The second day, we traveled up to uh, Mammoth Hot Springs and stayed in the uh, resort there. The hot springs is just a whole different place. You get <laughs> these hot springs that have this water running down that has calcified sediment that almost creates this waterfall-looking cal calcium uh, deposit thing. And it, it's just diverse and, and dry up there. Um, so it's just neat. And then the third day, we ended up staying around Lake Yellowstone, which was a separate inn. And this was just Lake Yellowstone is on the lake. So in its grand, meaning the hotel's kind of grand. They have someone playing a piano oh. in the lobby. And you can just envision back in the day, you know, 1930s, 40s, whatever, where people use that probably, they probably went to Lake Yellowstone as the place, their destination. And then, you know, they probably took day trips out from there because that was probably the the gathering spot mm -hmm. so it's just a big lake and then you get you, you drive there's the grand canyon of yellowstone which is these huge waterfalls we talked about the lake you know there's woods it's just there's the serengeti of uh of yellowstone where it's big open fields and you see all these animals grazing and it's just magical in fact it's even diverse in temperatures when we were there two years ago all within one day, we got to, it was, it was sunny. It rained on us. It got cold and it actually snowed all within, <laughs> all within one day. So it's just a neat place. What tips do you have for going there? Uh, my tip would be to, to plan ahead. You know, it is a busy national park. So planning, you know, six months ahead of time. And if you're going to go in the summer, you probably want to start thinking about it, you know, November, December, January, 
And there's a lot of different ways to interact with with Yellowstone, whether it's, you know, you want to backpack or camp or stay in the inns. You know, there's a lot of different ways. And but I encourage everyone, is, we deal with technology every day, to, to disconnect for a little bit and spend a little time with nature. I want to uh, read a quick quote from a book that I read, Wilderness, The Gateway to the Soul by Scott Stillman. His passage says, you know, many consider this roughing it. He's referring to backpacking, but I, but I disagree. This is lavish decadence. I'm free from the demands of city life. I have endless opportunity to wander at will or simply sit and watch the magnificence of creation unfold. It's all right here happening before my eyes. Like the endless summer of childhood, my days are long, enchanted, and full of possibility. This is not roughing it. This is smoothing it. So I encourage all of you to get out into nature and enjoy nature and smooth it out a little bit, not rough it. One more plane and one more stop at latitude 32 degrees north, longitude 81 degrees west with Betsy Wolking, who shares not just her destination, but how she got there. The place I'm going to talk about is Savannah, Georgia, but as much as the place, I want to talk about the booking experience that I had. A friend and I decided we wanted to take a trip, but we didn't know where we wanted to go. So we heard of this service called Pack Up and Go. They did a phenomenal job planning the trip. It was all anonymous and it was a surprise to us. And as fun as the surprise was, the more important thing was that we didn't have to do a bunch of research. We filled out a questionnaire, gave them our budget, and they planned the trip. We got an itinerary. They booked travel or transportation as well as accommodations and we just showed up it was wonderful when did you find out where you were going so about a week before we got an email giving us the temperatures during the time we were going to be there <laughs> and a few bullet points on what to pack but we didn't actually know we were going until probably two days before we got an envelope we chose not to open it until the morning we departed but we could have found out two days before but we chose to wait all right how long did you go we did three nights, four days. However, they do allow for up to, I think, an 11-day trip. Okay, I'm going to ask you, was it expensive? All things considered, I would say no. It's variable. I've had friends since take similar trips. One was sent to Boston. One was sent to Philadelphia. <laughs> and they both included, and it is just in the contiguous 48 states, so it's not an international opportunity. It is just local. But... Depending on the budget that you set with Pack Up and Go, they will decide or they will change the variation or how expensive or the accommodations are, things like that. So one friend that actually got sent to Boston, her trip included an Uber gift card because some of the reservations that were made on their behalf were a bit of a drive away. So instead oh. of them having to pay for that, it was included. I love the way you say we're so. sent to. My friends were sent to. <laughs> we were sent to. <laughs> Yes. But the nice thing is it is all optional, but they did make those reservations in advance because you don't know where you're going until a couple of days before. So if you do want to do a nice restaurant that takes reservations six months to get, mm -hmm. they were able to book that for them. The trip my friend and I took to Savannah was much more low-key. We didn't have anything pre-booked, but every meal had two restaurant options, kind of a more casual and a more formal option. It gave us ideas of museums and walking tours that we could take as well as a little day trip. So we ended up taking about a half day and going to Tybee Island, which was just a good little getaway. Mm -hmm. But again, it, it gives you when you fill out the survey, the opportunity to say what type of trip, if you're looking for something active or more leisure and places you've been. So it doesn't send you somewhere that, you know, you've been to Chicago a dozen times. They don't want to send you there. Mm -hmm. So, well, let's look at Savannah for just a moment. 
Mm-hmm. What did you do there and what did you really like about it? Yeah, what I really liked, it was, it was so very walkable, pretty flat, especially compared to Cincinnati. And everything that they suggested in the three-day itinerary besides Tybee Island was walkable. So from our hotel, we went to several restaurants. We were right on River Street, which was beautiful. So very picturesque, lots of history. Mm -hmm. We didn't end up doing any of the museums just because that wasn't what we were in for, but there were a lot of great museum options. We did take a walking tour that pointed out some movie highlights. The Forrest Gump bench um, is there (laughs) along with a couple of other things. Lots of beautiful homes. So there's a couple historic districts that that they walked us through. And it's just a nice slow pace. It was very Southern, full of charm, and just a great kind of short, you know, long weekend type of getaway. Tell us once again about the name of the group that you use, the company you used, and how do you contact them? Absolutely. So it's Pack Up and Go is the name. The website is packupgo.com. So they leave the and out in the website. So packupgo.com. And it's all done online. So you fill out a survey. And if you are doing it with multiple people, they can coordinate from various destinations. So in my case, we were both coming from the Cincinnati area. So it booked airfare for both of us on the same flight out of Cincinnati. But they do have the capability, if you're doing a girl's trip from four different cities, to coordinate that and get you all in around the same time. But it's all online. We did have a little snafu that happened. I lost track of the itinerary. Once we got to Savannah, reached out. Their customer service was great. Sent me a new copy via email. So we were able to get back on track. But everything was just really well communicated and laid out. That's fantastic. Would you recommend them? Absolutely. 100%. This is totally, you know, not supported by them. They don't know that I'm talking about this. We gave them a glowing review after the trip and have recommended them to several people, but I definitely would recommend it and hope to use them again soon. Why not let your inner travel bug take over? You never know where it could lead. Just make sure your passport is up to date and you have access to your favorite podcast platform, so you can listen to the latest shows from the people at Foster & Motley. Thanks for being with us. Thank you for listening to Foster & Motley, a podcast about wealth and life. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information discussed and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Foster & Motley. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional financial advice. Keep in mind that rules and regulations are subject to change. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions regarding your financial planning and investments. Foster & Motley is not affiliated with any third-party providers. Any mention of a third-party provider does not imply an endorsement of that provider. If you decide to utilize a third-party provider, you do so at your own risk.